Welcome to What the F is Going On in Latin America and the Caribbean, a popular resistance broadcast of hot news out of the region. In partnership with Black Alliance for Peace, Haiti America's team, Code Pink, Common Frontiers, Council on Hemispheric Affairs, Friends of Latin America, Interreligious Task Force on Central America, Massachusetts Peace Action, and Task Force on the Americas, we broadcast Thursdays at 4.30 p.m., Pacific, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, right here on YouTube Live, including channels for The Convo Couch, Popular Resistance, and Code Pink. Post-broadcast recordings can be found at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Telegram, RadIndieMedia.com, and now under podcasts at popularresistance.org. Today's episode, Reject U.S. Imperialism, Make Our Americas a Zone of Peace. And I'm very happy for all of you to... Um, join this conversation this evening with two really fabulous activists. And I'm also honored to say really wonderful friends, personal friends, um, joining us to talk about Black Alliances for Peace's launch of uh, Make Our Americas a Zone of Peace is Ajamu Baraka. He is with uh, the BAP Haiti Americas team. And uh, Black Alliance for Peace is a broadcast partner of this program. And then also joining us, uh, this evening is Margaret Flowers. She's the co-founder and director of Popular Resistance and the host of the podcast and radio show, Clearing the Fog. And uh, Popular Resistance hosts this project and um, is a sponsor of the program. So this is a really special uh, evening um, to have with all of you. And I'm so happy to have two friends, longtime activist friends and personal friends join the conversation. And so um, maybe I should give, um, let me give the audience a little bit of background and then Najamu, um, we'll give the floor to you because this new Black Alliance for Peace campaign is, is really significant, very important. And it's, and it's in this particular moment, it's really exciting as well. So let me just briefly um, share with the audience um, a couple notes. So on Tuesday, April 4, uh, and a not inconsequential day, the Black Alliance for Peace, um, along with key partner organizations, launched an effort to activate the popular movements in our region in support of the community of Latin America and Caribbean states, CELAC, C-E-L-A-C, uh, the CELAC 2014 call to make the Americas a zone of peace. The campaign will be informed by the Black radical peace tradition, with its focus on the structures and interests that generate war and state violence, including colonialism, patriarchy, capitalism, and all forms of imperialism. The fight for a zone of peace is an attempt to expel all of these nefarious forces from our region. So with that, Ajamu, why don't you uh, tell us how this came about, I know that you personally have been working to launch this campaign for quite some time. The launch was on uh, April 4. There was a fabulous press conference in Washington, D.C. I will share the link with the audience to that press conference. Well, thank, thank you. Thank you, Terry. And it's a pleasure to be uh, to be with you again. And it's always a pleasure to uh, to be with uh, Margaret Flowers. Uh, and looking forward to our, our conversation. Um, just briefly, as you indicated, um, we launched the campaign on April the 4th. And as your listeners 
No, April the 4th is a very uh, important date. Uh, of course, it's the date that we launched the Black Alliance for Peace back in 2017, but we launched it on the 4th for a particular reason. It's also the date that uh, we believe elements of the U.S. state were responsible for the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King. Um, and so we thought that it would be fitting to launch uh, our um, uh, organization dedicated to peace uh, on that date uh, to not only remind people of the forces uh, that um, conspired to undermine peace efforts, but also to remind people of the outstanding work of Dr. King and the movement that produced Dr. King. Because the Black Alliance of Peace is in fact uh, an attempt to, to build movement, to build organization. And that's what Dr. King was all about. That's what the Black Liberation Movement was all about. That's what the radical movements were all about in the 1960s and 1970s and even before that. So we decided that we would um, uh, uh, launch this campaign, a campaign, as you indicated, we have been uh, working on in terms of building relationships uh, from across the region for more than a year. Uh, we uh, were very much aware of the call by CELAC in 2014 in Havana for our Americas to be a zone of peace. And it's important to emphasize um, this notion of, of our Americas. Uh, one of the objectives of our campaign, beyond trying to expel those forces that are dedicated to, to war uh, and subversion, uh, violence, um, that process of building the ability or the capacity to expel these forces uh, um, also, our, the part of the of our campaign is to build a consciousness, a, an American-wide consciousness. Uh, often, many people in North America, the northern part of, of the Americas, tend to forget that they are, in fact, part of this region. Mm -hmm. So building an American-wide consciousness and understanding that the fate of the peoples of the global South the southern parts of, of the Americas, Central and Southern um, uh, South America and the Caribbean uh, is a common fate that basically those of us in, in the North uh, are, have uh, interests that are uh, completely bound up uh, with the interest, the desire and the peat on, on, on the part of the people for uh, peace and prosperity, that uh, we have a common interest because we have a common enemy. So this uh, uh, campaign is a campaign that uh, we believe uh, is, is timely. We know that the call for a zone of peace in 2014 was a call made by the various states. Uh, there was a popular component of it that emerged for a moment, uh, but it kind of stalled out. So what we are attempting to do is to revive that popular component, the, the people-centered component, if you will, uh, of this call to make our zone, uh, make our, our region a zone of peace. Uh, because we recognize that uh, um, in the end, the only forces capable 
of, of pushing out uh, those forces that perpetuate uh, violence or suffering uh, in our uh, region, in our nations, are in fact the organized people. So this campaign we see as a tool, a tool to help to facilitate the organization of, of, of our people throughout the region, uh, a, a, a campaign that we hope will help to strengthen the anti-imperialist character of the politics uh, of our region, uh, and a campaign that will help us to um, shift in the, the awareness, uh, the understanding of activists in the north or in the center of empire in the territory referred to as the United States of America, that they are part of a region uh, and that uh, they are uh, at the center of a empire uh, that sees uh, the region as their backyard. And Biden says uh, that no, they see it as a front, as, as their front yard, which is supposed to be progressive. So it's we their want entire to yard. <laughs> we want to build a movement that will address these 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 contradictions um, and take advantage of the fact that uh, the war agenda of the U.S. and NATO, uh, what we refer to as U.S. EU NATO axis of domination, requires uh, support from the population, from the people, and because of that, uh, we see that as a uh, a vulnerability on the part of those forces. And we want to take full advantage of that and try to win people back to a commitment to peace. Thank you, Ajamu, that's um, excellent. And I, I, I wanna mention also that April 4th is important because in 1967, a year before Dr. King was murdered was when he gave the Beyond Vietnam speech right. where he connected capitalism, racism and militarism, you know, and that was, those were connections that the state did not want people to understand, um, to be aware of. So that, that's so significant. I'm excited about this campaign and popular resistance is one of the endorsers as well, because this connecting people in the Americas is critical. We have so much to learn. People in the United States have so much to learn from our Latin American and Caribbean brothers and sisters about resisting imperialism and building peaceful alternatives. And so I, I think you know, as, as the, the world is changing and the United States is no longer a hegemon, but the United States is going to go down aggressively, you know, militarily and suppressing social movements. So it's imperative that we learn these lessons. Um, I wonder if you could tell the listeners a little bit about the concept of people-centered human rights and why that's part of this and what, what that is, why it's important. Well, you know, the concept of, of people-centered human rights is a, um, uh, a framework that emerged uh, out of the agitation and organizing of, of Black activists, really beginning at the end of the Second Imperialist War, or what people refer to as the Second World War uh, in 1945. Uh, one of the institutions that the victorious powers uh, committed themselves to that theoretically was supposed to be committed to maintaining international peace was in fact the United Nations. One of the pillars of the, of the UN in terms of its values uh, and uh, indeed its political objectives uh, was not only to, uh, to maintain peace 
but also to be committed to the idea of fundamental human rights. Uh, the, the notion that every individual and even collect, collective uh, eventually uh, should, should be seen as having uh, fundamental human rights. Part of that commitment required that those human rights had to be formalized. Um, and so there were Black activists uh, who saw an opportunity to help to uh, formulate a human rights framework that would address all of the contradictions they saw impacting people and undermining the ability of people to be able to realize uh, their human rights. So uh, activists like uh, Du Bois, the activists who were organizing in a formation called the National Negro Congress. Uh, du Bois, of course, was organizing with the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, uh, the NAACP. NAACP, uh, the Council on, uh, on African Affairs, uh, Paul Robeson, um, uh, William Patterson, and others saw an opportunity to uh, shape the framework. And so they uh, involved themselves very um, heavily in the work of the United Nations Human Rights Commission uh, that was tasked with the responsibility of formalizing what would become the, the, the human rights framework. And so they, they did that. Um, and as a consequence of that work, uh, the petitions that uh, they um, uh, submitted to the United Nations Human Rights Commission, um, it helped to formulate what became the framework. In fact, many people argue, and I argue, that it was that agitation uh, that really uh, uh, reflected uh, the potential of the framework and the potential of the, of the United Nations. And that's precisely why there are elements in the, U in the U.S. that saw uh, this framework uh, as potentially dangerous and they began to try to undermine it. So this agitation, this radical understanding of the potential of the human rights framework, uh, this attempt that they made to connect up the contradictions they faced, they were facing with racial oppression in the United, Na in the United States uh, with the ongoing uh, colonial situation uh, became what we call the, the Black radical human rights tradition. Um, and that tradition was a tradition, is a tradition that puts the people at the center and why it does uh, recognizes the importance of these international treaties and instruments. Um, we don't recognize that as, as representing the extent of the human rights framework. We say that the human rights framework and what we see as the, 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 the breadth of that framework is something that's in formation. It comes out of the people's struggles. That is the people-centered framework, a framework that, that rejects the notion that the human rights is something that's the neutral, objective, non-political. Uh, we Not say down. no. Yeah. We say that the human rights are, in fact, uh, uh, human rights that have to be emanating from the contradictions, the, the needs of the people themselves, that we name the enemy to, of human rights. We name the structures to undermine human rights. So this people-centered framework is at the core of the work of the Black Alliance for Peace and the core of the work of the approach we're, we're trying to engage in with this the campaign. In the campaign, we, we connect up the people-centered human rights framework with the Black radical peace tradition. And as, as, as Terry read a moment ago, that uh, Black radical peace tradition is a tradition that keeps the focus on those structures of oppression. 
of exploitation that uh, uh, generate the interests that drive the politics that result in militarism and war. So these two principles become the foundation, the core principles and values uh, of the work of the Black Alliance of Peace and the framework we're using to, to uh, build out uh, this campaign uh, here in, in our region. Let me um, ask you something that you mentioned earlier, you know, when you were talking about our Americas, and I think this is so important because there's so much for us in North America to learn, but our Americas is, you know, Arctic Circle to Antarctic Circle, America, the hemisphere of the Americas. We have in the North an Anglo-based America, and we have in the South and in the Carib Central, South and Caribbean, a Latin-based and African-based um, America, but it is one America, and it was one, you know, indigenous people in the entire hemisphere that have been removed, annihilated the genocide, and the entire hemisphere has benefited from um, slave labor. And so it is in many respects, our Americas that has to be reconstructed, all of it. There's common history and, there, and there's differentiating history, but it is still one hemisphere that needs to become peaceful. And, you know, I would, you know, you mentioned Biden and Latin America and the Caribbean is the U.S.'s backyard. Now it's the front yard. It's the entire yard. And, and that's, that's, you know, basically he's uh, continuing to uh, support the whole notion of the Monroe Doctrine, which is 200 years old this year, 1823. And so what, um, what do the two of you think when you hear our America? Is it, I mean, for me, this is what I hear. Anglo-America, Latin America, Caribbean America, common. There's common history and there's, you know, uncommon history too. But there is, and, some, and in the, I will say in, in the chat, um, there's a comment to, you know, build bridges, not walls. And maybe that's the best way to talk about, particularly in this moment, you know, what is our American? I ask this because let me, I, as both of you know, and many in the audience know, I, um, I participate on a lot of international delegations. I also organize and lead uh, delegations throughout the hemisphere. And there is this one common mistake that, that most of us from the North make. We call ourselves Americans when we're in South America. Everyone in this hemisphere is an America. So when I hear our America is like, you know, all of us, we're all American. Just, you know, to, for a U.S. citizen to go to South America and say, I'm American. Well, the South American citizens are Americans, too, as are the people in the Caribbean, as are the people, you know, in Central America. We're all American. Well, I'm, I'm going to defer to, to Margaret on this. <laughs> I've been talking enough. No, no. Well, we really want to hear from you. But, you know, I don't use the term American to refer to myself. I say people of the United States or I'm from the United States or some people use USian. Um, mm. But, you know, one of the things that I think of when I hear, you know, the, our America and this campaign and, and a point that I really want to emphasize 
is that, you know, I mentioned that the importance of people in the United States learning from our brothers and sisters in the, in other, you know, the other Americas, not only how to resist, but also how to create positive alternatives. There's some excellent, you know, examples and work being done on that front. But the another reason that this is so important for us to understand in the United States and to, and to participate in this campaign is that it is our government, the United States government, which is the major aggressor, human rights violator, uh, interventionist uh, in that in this region. And so we have a particular responsibility to be addressing our government and to be organizing uh, in solidarity with people throughout the Americas to inform our government and to build the movement and to pressure it and change it. And as I said, in this moment, as the world is changing, the United States is refusing to recognize that and in fact is, is doing everything destructive against it. Um, it. This is a critical time for us to be doing this type of work. Exactly. I just, exactly. People have to have to be reminded that that uh, what 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 binds us together, especially those of us who um, are in the northern part, uh, in the United States, uh, who see ourselves not only as exploited workers but also as a colonized people, is that we are connected to the ongoing anti-colonial struggles in this region. These struggles on the part of 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 most of these nations for national self-determination, uh, for national sovereignty, uh, is a is an anti-colonial struggle. Uh, they are constructing for themselves their own forms of, of, of democracy uh, and, and developing for themselves a path to uh, uh, development, as they, as they define it, uh, that they are hoping will bring uh, uh, not only peace, but prosperity to their people. Uh, those uh, peoples who are uh, in these various uh, nation states who are uh, oppressed are involved in a similar kind of struggle. And so what the, the, the politics is what unites us, because when we talk about an anti-colonial struggle, we're talking about an anti-imperialist struggle. Uh, you know, coloniality is real. It's not just the term that came out of academia. is real. And the process of, of decolonization uh, is a process of struggle. So what do we struggle against? We're struggling against, as Margaret just indicated, those concrete forces, those, that concrete reality called the United States of America and its European allies, that uh, if this uh, entity, this US state, this settler colonial state uh, continues to operate as an empire and is able to uh, impose its interests, um, its will, on the rest of us, uh, then we are in, we are facing an existential threat because we understand that the only, the only interest that they're concerned with is, is the interest of profit uh, and domination. And so we're not gonna have peace in this region until those forces have been, uh, have been defeated basically. So this campaign that we're organizing uh, is a campaign not just making an appeal uh, to these forces. We recognize these forces have to be uh, politically defeated. So this campaign is, uh, is a tool to help in that process, to help facilitate the organization of our peoples, uh, to, to develop more effective regional-wide 
coordinating structures. We hope to build two structures for this campaign. One would be a, a, a regional-wide structure uh, that will help to, to continue to develop the campaign uh, and a mass-based structure that we are calling, calling the U.S. NATO um, uh, uh, out of the Americas network, meaning we want to expel the U.S. From the, from the region, not the people of the U.S., but the settler colonial state. If the settler colonial state has been, this, this has, has experienced continuity since 1609, you know, don't worry about this, this BS so-called revolution that took place. That was nothing but a, tra a lateral transfer of power uh, to a U.S.-based bourgeoisie, okay? So that settler state has been, has been continuous until that settler state uh, is transformed, um, then we're not going to be able to be able to live in freedom in our region. So that is the target, the settler state and their European allies. So we are very, very clear about that in concrete, that this is a, 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 a campaign in which the politics of this campaign are, have to be crystal clear. We're not sugarcoating what we're trying to do. We're building uh, an anti imperialist anti-colonial movement in this region and we're prepared to fight you know there is um and the audience is um aware of this there's actually two things the movement building which comes up that's a theme that comes up over and over again in, in episodes of this program but um also and the two of you are very aware of this that since October of 2020, the, there have been elections across the hemisphere, presidential and legislative le elections across the hemisphere, starting in Bolivia in 2020, all the way through Brazil this past fall, where um, executive, the, well, the presidents have changed in countries as have many of the Assemblea Nation, National Assemblies, legislatures. Um, to center left, and in some cases, social democratic governments that uh, have proposed, uh, you know, an economy for their people, all the way to radical left governments um, that want to completely overhaul the, the existing capitalist economies that they've inherited uh, through an electoral win. But through all of these elections, People voted for, in my opinion, national sovereignty, natural resource sovereignty, and economies, candidates that were proposing economies that would benefit all the people. This people-based human rights, as, as you uh, have talked about, Ajamu. And um, I see the culmination of that now. This is just my opinion, my observation that this shift that you are, that Black Alliance for Peace is proposing and is going to fight for is culminating in the South and is, and is starting to congeal and pushing its way North. And so whatever happens in North America is gonna be a reaction to what's already happened in the South versus a proactive, um, and of course, you know, a reactionary response isn't necessarily something positive. 
or healthy or you know pleasant. Your thoughts, Adamo? Hmm. <laughs> Your thoughts on what Terry just talked about? Well, I think that. Um... I, I I think that your your observation is is a um, uh, insightful one, um, and I would I would I would add to your uh, observation of the sort of the trajectory of a political oppositional movement being from the global south uh, to the north. I, I think that's correct. I would I would suggest though that the 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 motion that we are, are seeing as you just indicated uh the progressive motion is already in place and that the forces that are lagging in this progressive development in our region are in the u.s mm -hmm. they're in the north they're in canada okay mm -hmm. and so uh what we have to build is a movement uh a, a politics that that allow us to uh, to recognize our common interests uh, and to not continue to be a break on the progressive developments taking place in our region. We have to struggle at the center of empire against those uh, uh, retrograde forces that continue to align themselves with their state, with their ruling class uh, in opposition to these experiments and movements toward uh, anti-colonial liberation in the global south, in the southern part, uh, and uh, and across our region, and so yes, we recognize that uh, this is a movement that has to be regional-wise. No question about that. We we that's why we took a year to build uh, the relationships we had to build uh, with organizations outside of the of of the U.S. Um, we were very selective in who we reached out to in this first phase of the development of this campaign uh, for endorsement. We didn't do a, a wide endorsement of this campaign. Uh, we were selective because we wanted to have a, a representative uh, showing of organizations from across our region. And, and we were able, we, we, we achieved that. We're opening up the process for endorsements and participation now. Um, but you know, this is something that uh, that, uh, uh, but we again recognize that while we have a focus, a programmatic focus on 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 the on the north, we also recognize this has to be a regional wide uh, effort, and that's what we have to, and we're trying to, in fact, uh, build. Great, Terry. Do you mind if I? Jump in. No, thank you. I, <laughs> no, um, we're, we're among friends here. It's really wonderful. I'm so pleased. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, the demands of this, uh, the initial demands of this campaign, I think are very important because I suspect that people in the United States are probably not even really aware of many of the issues that are, that are covered in the demands. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how the demands came about and how they can be used uh, to educate folks about what's happening and, and the U.S. role and uh, and the NATO role and, the, you know, the Western imperialist role in that region. Yeah, the, yeah. thank you so much for that. Um, we, you know, these demands, these initial demands are, are core. They, they really represent the character of this of this campaign. 
we raise a very simple question, for example. How can we have effective national sovereignty when we have the U.S. with 76 bases throughout our region? Well, we have a Southern command in which the, uh, the head of that command a few weeks ago uh, discussed openly what the objectives of the U.S. should be uh, in in the region, to steal that, resources, yeah, basically to to yeah. steal the the precious resources of the people of our region, to to they they had a they they are they are they have the eye on the on the 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 water, the fact that in our region we have thirty two percent of all the fresh water on the planet. They she talked about uh, I think it was uh, General Richardson, lithium. yeah, Lord, the the, the lithium uh, a triangle. Uh, how important that was with 60% of the lithium on the planet in our region. So in their arrogance, they, they demonstrate, you know, what they're all about. They don't care about the people of this region. They care about the riches of this region. They care about the, the labor that they can exploit uh, in this region. They don't the care land. about yeah. the land. They don't care about democratic development because they're anti-democratic. If there weren't anti-democratic, they would not be engaged in subversion in our region. So the initial demands, and I'm gonna read, uh, read them, uh, that uh, we, again, we said this is a, a developing campaign. So the initial demands that we are organizing around are one, dismantle Southcom, shut down the 76 US military bases in our region, okay? In the U.S. NATO military exercises, close foreign military bases, installations, and enclaves, as well as to withdraw foreign occupation troops in our region. We say dismantle or disband the U.S. sponsored state terrorist training facilities. That is to shutter, to close down the Western Hemispheric Institute for Security Cooperation, formerly known as the School of the Americas uh, at Fort Benning, Georgia, uh, and to uh, terminate the U.S. training of police forces across this region. We say uh, we must oppose military intervention into Haiti. Uh, we know that there are a number of, 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 of scenarios being developed uh, to justify a foreign intervention into Haiti. We must, we must reject that. Uh, we need to support the people-centered movement for democracy and self-determination self in Haiti as opposed to military intervention. We say they must return or we must ensure uh, that uh, Guantanamo the entire district of Guantanamo and Cuba is returned to the Cuban people and the Cuban state. And we say that sanctions are war. There's no question about that in our minds at all. We say in our region, we have to end illegal sanctions and blockades of our regional states, including all economic warfare, lawfare, and recognize the sovereignty of the states in our region. So these are some of the initial demands that uh, will shape the campaign, shape the work that people are going to be engaged in 
in their specific national territories to link up their struggles for self-determination uh, with the struggles to transform the social uh, relations and the relations of power between our peoples and our nations and our region with the hegemon to the north and their uh, European uh, allies. That's why we we see these 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 attempts, like in Colombia, uh, with the idea of total peace, and we say we support the notion of the principle of total peace. Let's extend that though throughout our entire region. You can't have total peace in Colombia uh, without total peace in our region. We can't have something called total peace in Colombia, and we have not addressed the question of the basis in Colombia. Uh, we can't have total peace in our region and not talk about uh, these uh, uh, NATO global partners in our region. So, you know, the people are, are, are gonna demand that these kinds of issues and contradictions are, uh, are, are addressed. So, uh, you know, peace is what we are strugg struggling for. Uh, peace is what we are uh, hoping to achieve, but we, we say and we, we, we remind people uh, that, uh, uh, you know, without justice, there could be no peace. And without uh, justice, without fighting, you can't achieve justice. So we are talking about building a struggle, building the capacity of our people across the region to struggle, to transform ourselves and, and transform these, these relationships. I'm, I'm glad you brought up Colombia, and there's a couple comments about Colombia in the chat as well, because it's, you, I mean, you you live in Colombia, and um, you've been outed. Yeah. Right. I should try to hide that. Yeah, well, you're not there now, I'll say. But um, it, it's. You know, this is the paradox, right? There's a lot of excitement about the new administration in Colombia. And this is one of the changes, you know, through uh, the electoral process, through constitutional uh, means uh, of a governmental change, left of center, um, Colombia last summer, summer of 2022. And um, this is the paradox is that there's still, you know, Colombia is a NATO global partner. And there still are all those U.S. military bases in the country, although I don't think any of us would expect uh, the new government to get rid of those bases, you know, right after Inauguration Day. But this is uh, an interesting and difficult paradox to kind of have to work through. And it isn't just Colombia. Who else is, is it? Uh, Argentina is... Um, what's the status? Major non-NATO partner with the U.S. Mm -hmm. and I want to say uh, Chile also, but I'm not sure, but definitely Colombia and Argentina. And so how does that, where do we start, you know, dismantling that? I mean, I always say we, I see, you know, yeah. our, we as our Americas, uh, because, you know, the Colombian people are, you know, sovereign people themselves to make the changes they want and need also. But those bases are U.S. and that's going to be, you know, our responsibility as U.S. citizens to help dismantle that. Well, we have Where to address, do we start? <laughs> no, we have to, first we have to uh, 
uh, continue to raise awareness of the fact that these bases across the region exist. Uh, people have to be reminded that we have something like 76 bases, U.S. bases in the, I mean, across the region. Uh, we have to be reminded that, for example, we have uh, a number of bases in places like Puerto Rico that we that are, that are that's part of our region and still uh, directly colonized by uh, by the U.S. Uh, so it's not just Colombia. We we you know we we understand that the the situation in Colombia is is deeply complex, um, and 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 you know the the nominal state power that the uh, uh, Pedro and uh, Marquez administration has, uh, you know, is is very precarious. Uh, the attempts to try to uh, develop a uh, a peace process uh, with the uh, National Liberation Force, um, uh, the ELN, um, and other um, um, forces in Colombia is very very difficult. Uh, right now, we have a very difficult situation with. Uh, an intensification of violence in the territories right at a moment that the peace process is 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 trying to be revived okay um and we see some 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 strange politics and even some of our other uh, friends uh, states uh, that we have in the region that we are friendly with uh, but that's why it's so important that we have this people-centered um, um a movement um, because it is the people themselves who make demands, uh, who will ensure that there's accountability with all of these progressive states. Um, because in the end, what we are struggling for is not just pe people-centered human rights, which is, of course, core, but also our, 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 our democracy. Uh, our democratic rights and our human rights are, are, are inexplicable. Uh, Inextricable. I would add to that, you know, you talked about naming these institutions. So uh, things that can be done, kicking out the NED, you know, there are countries that have that have kicked out these types of institutions, the National Endowment for Democracy, the what the does the you know the soft work of the of the CIA and and you know funding groups within countries directly in Did Margaret freeze? I think we lost her. Margaret, maybe just turn off your video and participate via audio. Well, it, it, she, she, she'll come back. So, yes, those are some of the things that we we, we have to do. They, they, there's some of the things that people are involved in, in right now. Um, we have to have more effective solidarity work uh, in the North. It, it it makes no sense that the people of, of Peru are struggling almost by themselves, okay? I mean, there's people in the region that are providing solidarity and support. But why isn't it, why isn't this more of an issue in North America? Right now we have, uh, we have a, a, a bad folks uh, on the ground in Peru. Uh, and we, uh, every week in the Black Agenda Report, uh, we have reports coming directly from uh, our activists uh, on the ground in Peru. You would think that everybody will be flocking to that source of information, but they're not doing that. They seem not to really even care that much. Okay. Uh, you know, this we is, are we're engaged. talking about cloud. Yes. Yeah. 
we'll true. engage in these these navel gazing conversations around the character and nature of some of these states why imperialism imperialism is given a, a free hand to undermine and subvert across our region while we engage in all these abstract academic discussions the fact of the matter is that whatever your political orientation or ideological orientation might be it is arrogant to impose that on the peoples of these various nations. They will find their own way. They will deal with their own internal contradictions. Your responsibility is to keep the focus on your state that's responsible for most of most all of the suffering and contradictions in our region. Do that. You know, but they don't want to do that. They want to instead pontificate and pretend like they know something about revolutionary change, and they don't. Sorry about the interruption, my internet. Oh no, is. we're happy you're back. <laughs> we're happy you're back. <laughs> oh, you froze. Get on my phone hotspot. Yeah. Oh darn it. Oh. So, Mark, are you making okay. some some comments? Well, yeah, I was just I was saying that you know we have to name these institutions like the National Endowment for Democracy that does you know the work of interfering in these countries and countries can you know talk about what can, can people do they can demand that countries kick the NED out. I think the Organization uh, for, of American States OAS is a deeply corrupt oh my goodness yeah see if, if it helps doing audio only no video okay let me try that yeah um can you hear yeah. me? Yes, great. My internet connection is unstable. I'm so sorry. That's all right. Um, yeah, so I was you know, saying that um, the OAS is another institution that's controlled by the United States and countries are you know, working to leave the OAS, to hold the leader of the OAS accountable, Luisa Malgro, um, to build alternatives to that. Um, and then, as people living in the United States, we have to recognize that most of what we see in the corporate media about what's happening in Latin America is manipulated and propaganda and false. And so we need to, this network, this, you know, America's wide network is important so that we have connections with peoples in the in other countries so that we can get accurate information about what's actually happening in those countries and not the falsehoods that we hear so frequently in the United States. I hope you got all that. <laughs> yes, we did. So can, let's um, let's go back to Peru just briefly. And I and um, Plow is uh, is the Black Alliance for Peace uh, activist and correspondent on the ground. And I did, you know, Ajamo, I had the great honor of meeting her while I was there in February. And in fact, she did. Um, the audience probably remembers she was a guest on this program for part of um, a report back with activists. And um, the biggest thing, the most common thing, the loudest thing that the Peruvian people are asking for is to have their story brought into the international community. So, and, and so that they are not forgotten. And I, you know, I, I agree with you, Ajama, this is our work in the North. And this is uh, for the Peruvian people, specifically those in the South, they are principally indigenous or first original people as they call them in Peru and campesino. 
And they live on land that has abundant fresh water and lithium as well as other uh, precious uh, metals. And this is a 500 year struggle for them. It's the same paradigm. It's the same structure. It's the same pilfering, privateering, you know, <laughs> extraction of natural and human resources for the global North. There's one thing that is, is worth looking at uh, on a map for all of us to look at where the lithium fields are. And it is, and as you said, Ajamu and, and Latin America, Latin America, it's a huge percentage of the world's lithium fields, starting in the tri triangle with Argentina, Bolivia, and Chile, including uh, Peru, and in Mexico. And where have all the recent whose political disruption been? Pretty much if you look at where the lithium is and where the attempts to either buy lawfare or uh, electoral fraud, whatever. You have the lithium fields and then you have these forced changes of government. They overlap almost exactly all the way up to Mexico. And now we can even argue there's a, not argue, there is very clearly a, a negative um, or an anti-OMLO narrative coming out of the states towards Mexico. And of course, the president of Mexico nationalized the lithium fields last year, spring of 2022. This is the same model that Latin America and the Caribbean, well, and even the uh, native peoples of North America have experienced for 500 years. Nothing's changed. And so this campaign of Black Alliance for Peace is this zone of peace. This is huge. And this is not something this is going to be a struggle for perhaps generations even to dismantle and not just dismantle, but then there's going to have to be rebuilding. And this is where I would argue this need. And I think in the, in the global South, they have, a, they're much more successful. They have a much better understanding of movement building. We don't quite get that. Uh, in, in the global north or, you know, in the states where all of us are from, this need, this movement building, labor, social, political, where you can keep a project going generation to generation, where you can keep, you know, your, your influence on the political powers and on the business powers, that movement building has just got to happen in mass to continue a project such as yours. You, you're absolutely right, and and the 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 I, I hate to be some people think overly dramatic, but I refer to them as the enemy. The enemy also recognizes this, and they they are making moves to undermine the the progressive developments in our region, and they're using some tried and true um, methods to do that. One of the reasons why we have uh, some of the political uh, challenges we have uh, in the North is because of the weaknesses of our organizations. Why are uh, our organizations so weak? Part of it is can be explained by the, the uh, pervasive 
um, NGOization of the movement uh, uh, in the North, okay? Uh, that has resulted in the fragmentation uh, of, 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 of our movements, uh, the opportunism and the careerism. There's, there's so much a part of the uh, political life uh, in, in the North um, and the reformism that is uh, the resulted uh, politics. Well, folks, there is a veritable invasion taking place in, 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 in Central and South America by some of these same forces, these foundations. They are, are, are coming into the region. Um, um, and, I, and I call it an invasion, and I don't think that's an exaggeration, uh, with the same kinds of methods to fragment the, the radical opposition. Now, they're not going to be as successful because of the traditions of radicalism we have across the region, but they can be pretty disruptive, and they and we are already seeing some uh, some results of that. Uh, so, you know, as you said, Terry, this will be a struggle, um, and it's about movement building. Now, I don't think it's gonna be generations because the contradictions that we are facing in this region and globally are such that we don't have generations. If there's not uh, a check on uh, global uh, uh, capitalist power, uh, well, we are able to, to construct methods of cooperation, uh, dealing with these global challenges like climate change. Uh, we're not gonna be here. If we're not able to build a movement that can put a check on these maniacs who are making policy in the US and Europe, we're not going to survive because you see the kind of dangerous politics that these amateurs are pursuing uh, with this manufactured crisis in Ukraine. And you see the effectiveness of propaganda in the US where you have <laughs> massive uh, uh, public opinion who uh, perceives the Russians as the enemy and Putin some kind of nut or whatever. I mean, it's so incredibly effective. And they are already creating the conditions to pivot to China. And they understand they have an even more uh, a juicy target with China because of the fact that uh, while the Russians have been ejected from whiteness back in 1917, they still look European. And so there's still some degree of, of sympathy for them to in, in some in some in some in some places, uh, even though the Slavs have always been seen as as basically uh, uh, pretend to be Europeans, but the Chinese the full force of white supremacist ideology will be in place. Okay, we already see it. And so if you have these, these sophisticated so-called leftists uh, who, who, uh, who, who want to you know, engage in these, these abstract conversations around the nature of these various states, as opposed to doing the, 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 the tough and necessary work of, of, of building an anti-imperialist movement directed at the enemy of, of humankind, uh, then you know we we are facing the possibility of not only escalation uh, with the Russians into a nuclear confrontation, but if we escape that, the possibility of that happening with the Chinese. Why are these freaks uh, agitating the 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 Chinese? Why is are they they had a one part one China policy for decades now? What are they trying to do? Do they really want war with the Chinese? 
Do they uh, want all they, of the lithium? Here's a state that hasn't won a major conflict since the Second World War, and they didn't even win that one. And now they want to fight the Russians and the Chinese what, simultaneously? This is madness. It is madness, but the, the scary thing is, and so many knowledgeable people have been saying this, you know, Ray McGovern and others who've been on the inside, these people actually believe that the United States can win in these conflicts. Despite all of the evidence, you know, we don't have the resources to fight these wars. Uh, we, you know, the, the world is not with the United States. 90% of the world is not with the US and its conflict in Ukraine. No. And alliances regionally in the world are changing significantly. And the US is now becoming just kind of a, I call the US the Juan Guaido of the world. <laughs> it's just a joke. You know, it's it's the US is not being included like it used to be in certain things and, and alternatives are being built to shut us out. So, but, but the people in power literally, literally believe that we could launch a nuclear war and that somehow we could actually win this. And they truly believe this, and that this is why another reason of the many reasons why this work is so critical, and and for people in the United States to learn and to educate themselves is a, is a crucial part of this struggle. The zone of peace. Yeah. So How do people more. find out and join? You said people can. So, now you're opening the endorsement. I have been posting uh, the okay. link to the Black Alliance, to the specific page, the Black Alliance Zone of Peace campaign. I've posted it multiple times in the live chat, and um, it is also included among other additional links in the program notes, which um, will be in the, uh, you know, the, the description of the episode on the YouTube channel. Yeah, and Black the Alliance podcast, so, for Peace.com. We appreciate that, yes. Yeah. I mean, that is, 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 is to go there, I'll go to the page, uh, and you can determine how you want to relate to the campaign. Uh, we are building out the, uh, please check the box where you join the US NATO out of, out of the Americas network. That's what we have. That's the mass based structure we're going to build. Um, be on the lookout for information coming from the Alliance. But remember this, this is a, a, an initiative that the Black Alliance for Peace has taken the lead on. But this is a, an initiative that it, it requires uh, our, our key allies like popular resistance. Uh, we, we, we have no illusions about trying to do this by ourselves. And that's why we took a year to build relationships. Uh, this has to be and will be a, a, a regional wide effort uh, of, of organizers who are going to build out the rest of this campaign. We put in place the skeletal uh, uh, element of the campaign uh, and now the next stage is building out the campaign uh, and encouraging um, uh, real work. There's not going to be a paper campaign. We don't do that. Uh, Revolutionary we, we discipline. Stuff. It's you groundwork. Know, we build real, real stuff. Yeah. Groundwork, yeah. movement building. Yeah. It's fabulous. And that's what we need to learn from our Latin American yeah. brothers and sisters. They have that revolutionary discipline, and it's why they've had this, been able to wage these fights. Exactly. Yeah. So thank you, both of you, for such a fabulous conversation. And thank you, Ajamu, for all of your work at Black Alliance for Peace and Beyond. This is a, such an important uh, campaign. Again, it's the uh, Black Alliance for Peace 
Zone of Peace campaign, and you can find it at uh, blackallianceforpeace.com slash zone of peace. Um, again, the link is uh, has been posted multiple times in the chat, and you can find that link as well as uh, how to follow uh, both Ajamu and Margaret on social media. Those links are all in the program notes as well. So, and also I did include uh, the YouTube link, the Black Alliance for Peace YouTube channel link for the press conference on Tuesday, April 4th, which was the launch of the Zone of Peace campaign. So be sure to take a look at that everyone when you can. It was an excellent, uh, an excellent launch of the campaign. And we're so, and I'm we, so and thankful. We lost Havana, Havana and in Port-au-Prince. Right. Three places. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was just, the, that was the DC one, but that was one of three. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, just for the audience, I think you all know, because uh, you have uh, watched, you know, Ajamu, Ajamima Pierre was on in the fall uh, when there was this overt uh, U.S. narrative of, uh, of U.S. intervention in Haiti, which still continues, but she did a fabulous episode with us on what was happening in, in that particular uh, moment. And for the audience, it's really important, the work that Black Alliance for Peace does in connecting the continent and peoples of Africa through Haiti to the Americas. That history is so, uh, so important to understanding uh, the Americas, and in my opinion, the global South as as a whole. So, um, so Haiti's such an important link that we need to be talking about more. And I'm thankful. Hey, thank you for your work and for bringing us all together. Tonight. Oh, yes. it was a great conversation. Great so wonderful to work with both of you in one space <laughs> at one time. It really was was a wonderful conversation. So for the audience, I just want to remind all of you, you've been watching What the F is Going On in Latin America and the Caribbean. We're a popular resistance broadcast, and you can find us on three YouTube channels simultaneously on Thursday evening, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, Convo Couch, Popular Resistance Org, Code Pink Action, and post-broadcast uh, recordings can be found on Apple or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and also now at popularresistance.org. They have our own uh, page there. So. so thank you, everyone. Thank you, Ajamu. Thank you, Margaret. And thank you to our audience for joining us. Um, really wonderful to see all of you and we'll catch you next week.